I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Good evening. How are you two tonight? Great. Welcome to Frashe. My name is Devin. I'll be your waiter. I'd like to point out a few things on the menu. For starters, we have the main diver's sea scallop crudo with rhubarb, blood orange, and sorrels. That's the Poseidon Adventure. We also have a braised pork belly, Asian style, with seared daikon radish, pickled ginger and garlic puree, and charred shishitsu pepper. That's the hoggy loggy, right there at the top of the menu. Both of those are $21. For main courses, I'd recommend the pan-roasted duck breast, steamed Brussels sprouts, hickory-smoked pancetta, and a huckleberry demi-glaze. You'll see that under Quack Attack, middle of the menu. That is $43. Also, the five-ounce washugu flat iron tonight is fantastic. It's served with asparagus two-wazed, braised Swiss chard, a bone marrow potato puree, and black trumpet mushrooms. That's the You Gotta Be Steakin' Me. It is $57, and the chef recommends no more than medium rare on that. Also, I believe we still have a few left of the rye-crusted Virginia-striped bass. It is served with little neck clams, Spanish chorizo, fingerling potatoes, puree of baby leeks, and Spanish saffron. That's the fishy, fishy, bobishy, banana fana faux fishy. And that sells tonight for our market rate of $62. For dessert, we have a lovely chocolate flourless tort, pomegranate coulis, and slivered almonds. That's the tick, 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 boom, cake explosion. And the kitchen will need a 20-minute notice on that. Thank you. Well, I will give you a couple minutes to look it over. Uh, have you decided on a bottle of grape escape? Might I recommend a particular vintage? It's old-world style with modern technique. It's never corked. And best of all, it'll get you drunk. It's, it's... Theater in Portland, Oregon. It's Livewire, the show that's currently loopy on a bottle of Grape Escape, Vintage 2012. Tonight, comedian Ron Funches, visionary keen footwear CEO James Curley, and music from Pink Martini's Thomas Lauderdale. That's tonight on Livewire Radio. Hey, 
the show. I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister, and you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the time it took Jules Verne to figure out if a league is longer than a sub sandwich, he writes a poem that, is, that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the show. And music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thank you, Ralph. Before we start the show, I would like to welcome another station to the Livewire Radio family, KUT in Austin, Texas. Austin, you know, we've just met, but I just, I feel like we, we're already close because all of our bands, which is pretty much our entire population, were just in Austin for South by Southwest, and they had nothing but great things to say about you. So welcome, KUT, and we like you already. As I mentioned earlier, we will have comedian Ron Funches on the show later, and we'll also talk to James Curley. He's the CEO of Kane Footwear, and he has been in the news lately for taking the initiative to actually bring their outsourced shoe manufacturing back to the United States. Which is weird, because there's really not anybody here who needs a job. So I'm not sure why they decided to do that. Um, in fact, he was actually one of very few CEOs from around the country who were invited to meet with President Obama about it back in January. And there is another reason that outsourcing the manufacturing of American products is in the news. Uh, you may have heard this, but it's been revealed recently that the tales that storyteller Mike Daisy has been telling about the violations that he witnessed at Apple factories in China were largely fabricated. He told the stories on This American Life, and when they discovered the inconsistencies, they responded by retracting the entire show he was on and producing a second one that took Daisy to task for lying to the show's fact-checkers, one of whom was Ira Glass himself. Um, so the second show is just Mike and Ira sitting in a room together. Um, and the episode is absolutely riveting radio. The producers of the show left in every devastating, cringe-filled silence after Ira would ask Mike a question like, did you really meet this girl, this 13-year-old girl? And it just put you in the room with them. You were just waiting for that awkward and inevitably qualified response. All of his responses were qualified. And he told these stories hundreds of times in Experts and in Totality in his one-man show, The Agony and the Ecstasy of Steve Jobs. And he actually even told a couple of them on our show back in September of 2010. And they were stories of injured, poisoned, underage workers that he never actually met, dorms that he had never actually seen, armed guards that didn't exist. The list goes on. So he claims on his website that he stands by the stories as theater, not journalism. He, he said that he knew about what was going on in these Chinese factories and he wanted to create a piece of theater that would make people take notice, and they did. Is there such a difference between theater and journalism today? It's all sort of thornalism or journalator, right? <laughs> Ex except NPR, of course, although they do have their theatrical moments. I heard Michelle Norris laugh one time. <laughs> but... 
But we can't necessarily decide what's right and wrong based on what people are currently doing, right? Because people are currently doing horrible things, mostly Snooky. She's doing most of the horrible things. <laughs> so what would one of our great moral philosophers say about this? No, not Santorum. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of someone more like Immanuel Kant, who suggested that we use universal law to discern whether or not we should do something. Essentially ask the question, what if everyone did it? Well, we're already starting to see the answer to that question. With every James Fry, every third cup of tainted tea, every politician whose Twitter account was hacked, we question the validity of everybody's story. When we're lied to in a relationship, it makes us question not only the ensuing things that come out of the other person's mouth, including whether or not they actually like our meatloaf, but it also makes us question our own judgment. We lose faith in our own ability to choose friends or partners, and we make sure our senators are technophobes who think that Twitter means a series of high-pitched calls or sounds. We become gun-shy, and everybody's story becomes suspect. Here's what Mike said to me when he was on our show. He said, that's why I tell stories about things I've actually witnessed. So it has the weight of knowing that I did the research and now I'm here to tell you about it. So if everybody's lying, if everybody's just creating pieces of theater, what happens to the weight of those first person stories? They become paper thin as if they'd been on a really effective cayenne and lemon water cleanse, every single one of them. Big, chunky, substantive stories we should have paid attention to are now just glossed over by our brain like we're flipping through those first pages of Vogue, you know, the ones with all the lies about how much our lives would change for the better if we owned a cashmere capelet. <laughs> Mike Daisy's story has done some good, there's no question. He started a conversation that absolutely needed to be started, and he should get credit for that. But in the process, he has done a huge disservice to people who tell stories to affect change. People like Mike Daisy, for instance. Tonight's musical guest began his formal musical education when he was six, and he became active in Oregon politics when he was 14 years old. In 1994, Thomas Lauderdale founded Pink Martini, the little orchestra that's played all over the world. Asia, Greece, Turkey, Cannes, the Kennedy Center, and even at the Governor's Ball for the 80th Academy Awards. Tonight, it's just Thomas at the piano, but he's brought a very special guest with him. Please welcome Thomas Lauderdale to Livewire. Thank you. So, in, in 1991, when I was, uh, right before my senior year in college, I came back to work for a city commissioner, Gretchen Kafori. Uh, so that's where I met uh, Kathleen Zadat, who uh, wa- was born in 1940 in St. Louis and had uh, uh, come uh, west and graduated from Reed in 1974. She was Governor Goldschmidt's affirmative action director, and really she became my sort of teacher in everything. She was uh, a a mentor. She taught me everything I know about politics, about how to build coalitions. And uh, uh, and we've sort of had a friendship that has gone since 1991. At the end of a lot of our days of political work, we would come together and and, uh, just sing. I would be her little pianist and she would do these sort of fabulous songs. And and, uh, several years ago, we even thought uh, maybe we should put together an album. And uh, uh, this year, actually, we started that album. 
she, it's the first time she's ever been in the studio, and it is, it is un, it's just incredible uh, working with my dear, dear friend. Please welcome Kathleen Sadat. Imagination is funny. It makes a cloudy day sunny. Makes a bee think of honey. Just as I think of you. Imagination. Your whole perspective gets easy Start you asking a daisy What to do, what to do Have you ever felt a gentle touch And then a kiss Imagination is silly. You go around willy nilly. For example, I go around wanting you. And yet I can't. Imagine that you want me to. Thomas Lauderdale and Kathleen Sadat. Kathleen, you've actually, you've been a political activist since you were seven years old and got into a confrontation with a bus driver about sitting in the front of the bus. Um, and, and you've really worked, coalition building is your specialty, and it feels like right now no one is working together. You know, if, if you worked for Congress, how would you fix that problem? Well, one, the view from the margins is a very good view. Being a lesbian, being black, being a woman... Uh, I can see that there are movements going on in our country right now against those groups and other groups. It's a really easy thing to see. What I would say is that people are not paying attention on how to connect up and make this a broader issue, a superordinate issue, one that is bigger than our individual personal involvement, our individual identity politics then we won't move forward. We will not resist the pressure on us to keep moving backwards and to go more and more into our little shells. I think uh, the, what they're calling the war on women 
is just another piece of a civil rights issue. The war on immigrants, the war on gay and lesbian people, and it will expand and it will continue. And if we keep acting as though identifying the problem is the solution, it is not. Yeah. Well, and the civil rights movement, good point. So I was thinking about the civil rights movement in the 60s and the fact that things were very different back then in, in the way that people approached protest and they, they approached trying to make a change. How do you feel like the, the lessons of that movement can be brought to the people who are having the same problems right now? What's interesting about that movement that a lot of people don't know is that Huey Newton in 1972, I think it was, wrote an article encouraging the militant black people to join with the gay people as an oppressed group. Now, those lessons have been ignored. Other lessons of history have been ignored because there's been a competitive uh, uh, feeling to whatever the struggle was. I don't want you to get yours till I get mine, as opposed to, let's get yours and then we'll get some more. (laughs) Let's keep on moving. I I think the best example for me uh, is the uh, first women's rights Move, uh, uh, gathering in Seneca Falls, New York, where Frederick Douglass actually sat on the stage with a shotgun to help protect the women who were being um, harassed and uh, challenged on their right to, to assemble in public. When black men were given the vote, it precipitated a split in that movement. Instead of people saying, hey, you got the vote, now let's move on, let's all get the vote, they divided. They divided along racial lines, primarily. And that is so deep in our country. And we talk about it so little. And it gets in our way when we are trying to build alliances and trust and to move forward with people. So it feels to me like it's about the fear of losing power that you've just gained. It's, you feel like you, you can't help other people or bring them along with you. And so much, I think, of, of groups not helping each other is about fear. I mean, how do you get people to get beyond that? You do it in spite of fear. If everybody lets fear stop them, or everybody in the past had let fear stop them from doing what was right, we'd still be probably living in caves and, you know, fighting saber-toothed tigers or something. <laughs> You have to understand that fear is a normal process. When you push at the world, the world is going to push back. And it is scary to stand up and say, I stand for what I say I stand for over and over again, every time, and know that people don't like that. So the message is, do it anyway. Thank you so much. Thomas Lauderdale and Kathleen Sadat. They're going to be coming back later to join us for one more song. You're listening to Livewire, the radio variety show that is trying to get itself arrested just to spend some time in a cell with George Clooney. Coming up, humor from Ron Funches, Keen CEO James Curley, poet Scott Poole, and more from Thomas Lauderdale and Kathleen Sadat. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Livewire. Music tonight is brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and their Bread of the Week, 21 Whole Grains Killer Light. This version of their original has only 65 calories per slice, but you're still getting a 21-grain salute in your mouth. Dave's Killer Bread, making the world a better place, one loaf of bread at a time. There is a kind of character in thy life that to the observer doth thy history fully unfold. I thought you turned it off. Oh, I thought I did too. God. Sorry, sorry. Own proper. Get it? Oh, my I'm trying. Upon thy virtue. Oh, my gosh. Shh, don't Stay yell at me. Do you want me to get it? No, I got it. Oh, this is so embarrassing. There. I got it. Like All right, now turn it off. I'll put it on vibrate. No, no, off. I'll mute it. No, turn it off. Okay, but it... But what? Just do it. Okay, turning it off. Now. Oh, my God. What? It's turning off. What is that? Your turning off sound? Yeah. I, I thought it would be, you know, kind of funny. You know, like, I'm out of touch. Oh, good Lord. How long does it play? It's the whole song. You've got to be kidding me. Well, I never turn it off. Can you, can you just lower the volume? It's the turn off music, so I can't really do anything. It's just got to run its course. Uh, excuse me, uh, do you mind? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, turning off right now. That's it, turning it off now. Unbelievable. I, I think it's almost over. Sorry. Well, I'll resume when it's done. And let that be a lesson to the rest of you to turn off your cell phone before coming into the theater. Would anybody else like to take the time to turn off their phone now? Okay. Uh, really, Billy Ocean, really? I give up. I give up. I'm... That was Sean McGrath, Trisha Ferguson, and Andrew Harris with sound effects by David Ian. Our next guest was born in California. He was raised in Chicago, and he has no idea how he ended up in Oregon. He is a stand-up comic who's appeared in clubs all over the country with people like Janine Garofalo, Todd Glass. He's been on The Conan Show. And he can be seen in the upcoming movie, Who the F is Chip Seinfeld, with Patton Oswald. Please welcome Ron Funches to Livewire. Hello, Mr. Whiteface. I mean you no harm. So please don't come at me. That is a conversation I had with a kitty cat several days ago. It is also now the slogan for Black History Month. <laughs> I have a cousin that's very sensitive about racism. He called me recently because he was quite upset 
that he'd gone to a tuba recital where he was one of only three black tuba players. <laughs> and he thought that was racist. <laughs> and I wanted to agree. But then I thought about it. Three black tuba players is a lot of black tuba players. <laughs> if you see more than five black tuba players, you're watching an outcast video. <laughs> I saw a horrible thing recently. I saw a gentleman on a bus with a tattoo on his neck that just read, Screw Linda. That guy hates Linda. <laughs> or... He has to remind himself <laughs> to be intimate with Linda. Either way, Linda could do better. I'm married, which I enjoy, because it's like, thank you. Everyone else should be as surprised as you. I like being married because it's like having a partner in crime, which means I never know when I'm going to receive a text message from her that says, I just stole a Christmas tree from a church. Get a bag of weed and meet me at the hideout. And that is a September text. 
but we've known each other for a long time, so we're great at fighting. I don't even yell anymore. I just wait for her to fall asleep. <laughs> then I whisper in her ears, do the dishes. <laughs> Not because I want her to do the dishes but because I want her to dream about doing dishes. <laughs> and that's just good psychological warfare. <laughs> Had a weird thing happen recently having dinner with my wife and some extended family members, including this 88-year-old woman who I'd never met before and was kind of rude to me at dinner. There was some bread on the table and I grabbed it with my hand like a savage. <laughs> and she hated that. And she made sure everyone knew she hated that. But then two days later, she died. <laughs> so I'm conflicted. Because on one hand, my only time with this woman was not enjoyable. <laughs> on the other hand, I was one of the last people she saw before she died. So I should pay my respects and go to her funeral and go to her casket and say, you know why you're here. <laughs> No one makes me uncomfortable in dinner situations. <laughs> Do the dishes. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Blonde punches. to Livewire Radio, we would love it if you would download our podcast at livewireradio.org, and we would love it even more if you subscribed on iTunes. It doesn't take a lot to please us as radio shows go. The fact that you're listening right now is enough to get us to introduce you to our mother as the one. Recently, James Curley and a few other CEOs from companies around the country met with President Barack Obama about insourcing jobs to America. What follows is a probably inaccurate reenactment of Curly's meeting with the president. Mr. President, James Curley from Keen Shoes is here to see you. Oh, excellent. I'll send him in. Mr. President, thank you for calling attention to companies that are bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. It's been incredibly successful for Keen. I'm so glad to hear it, James. But I've got a confession to make. 
The real reason I called you in here is that I've got some shoe ideas. Uh, I'm sorry? Well, you don't got to be sorry. Janice, bring in my sketch pad and my easel. You have an easel? I sure do. Now, just take a gander at some of these sketches. Oh, boy. Now, look, I don't really sleep. Okay. Seriously, I don't. What do you do with your 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. block? Uh, I don't really have a 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. block. It's what you do. Me, I design shoes. That's prime Obama time. I mean, sometimes I call Sarkozy and we talk about The Wire, but he's only in season three, so, you know, I got to give spoiler alerts. But mostly, it's shoe design for me. Well, I'm glad you have some time to unwind, sir. Now, what's unwinding? Oh, it's kind of when you... No, I'm just kidding. I know what it is. I heard of it. It sounds fun, but look. First up, I got a pair of hiking boots that double as food storage. Now, you see this pouch here? You pour your soup leftovers from the night before into it, and bam, super hot soup feet. Uh, I don't know, sir. Well, I don't do the naming. It's up to you guys. How about this one? They're waterproof, all-conditioned sandals that have these emergency pull cords, and poof, the shoes turn into a little inflatable raft that you stand on like one of those gondoliers in Italy. It's life-saving, and it's kind of romantic. I'm not sure standing on a raft would Okay, really... I get it, I get it. You're a visionary. You need that, uh, that wow factor. No, no, it's just, I thought we were going to talk about insourcing. Biden! Mr. President. Okay, Biden. This is the one. Biden's been doing a lot of parkour around the White House. He loves it. Absolutely loves it. Joe, show him off. Parkour! Uh, I'll clean that up! And that hurt! Okay. Okay, okay, Joe, okay. Okay, Joe! Pretty impressive, huh? Well, it depends on which way you mean that word. Uh, Okay, here's the problem. Biden, he falls a lot, especially when he tries to climb up on the wall. So these shoes here have a special sticky Spider-Man-type substance that gets released when the uh, shoes go vertical. Okay, I'm stuck. Seems kind of messy. Well, we'll work on that one in the testing stage. Mr. President, with all due respect, I think you might want to stick to public policy. But look, James, my passion has always been shoe design. Always. Well, that could be a problem because you're the president. I know, right? I just sometimes feel like, oh, what do I want to do with my life, you know? <laughs> right. Can, uh, can, can we talk about insourcing? All right, all right. But look, I got 40 more sketches to show you later. Hey, bud, bring us in some chai. Will do. Uh, I'll clean that up. Keen Footwear started in 2003 as an answer to the question, can you create a sandal that protects your toes? The answer was yes. And now Keen sandals, shoes, and boots are available at more than 1,000 retailers around the country. And recently, Keen CEO James Curley has been hanging out with a lot of presidents. Uh, as we just illustrated incredibly inaccurately, uh, he visited with President Obama, and then last month, President Clinton actually invited James to his health care summit to discuss his new recess revolution. It's a program to get people to play again, even if it's just for 10 minutes at a time. 
Here to play with us, please welcome James Curley to Livewire. Welcome to the show, James. Good to be here. Well, I wanted to briefly talk about where you came from. When you, you, you started at, uh, at Keene in 2008. You came from Solomon Sports. What appealed to you about the company, about their culture? Often, you know, you get a chance to go into an organization that's maybe 20, 50, 100 years old, and you kind of play a part in that. And when Keene came along, it was literally born this century. And when you're born this century, you can kind of be much more future-focused. You're not dealing with a legacy of repositioning and, and what happened before, and you have to you know, change things all of a sudden. This was an organization that was truly being created in front of us. And, and literally, uh, th that was the appeal, was um, there are companies who are settlers, and there are companies who are pioneers, and I choose to be a pioneer. That's great. One of the things that, that Keen did actually in 2004, as, as a two-year-old company, they actually uh, gave their entire marketing budget to tsunami relief in Asia. How does a two-year-old company do that and survive? Yeah, that's a great question. Probably a, a bad business decision at the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, I'll, I'll use a musical reference. You know, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And... Uh, when you, when you stare down this budget and this money and a situation happens that happened in, uh, in, in the end of 2004, um, an organization and the leadership legacy that I was fortunate enough to follow made a decision and said, you know, if we were in charge, what would we do? And, and they decided that, you know, maybe the million or so dollars could wait and why not put that into uh, disaster relief? We put that money into AmeriCares and it sort of set up this platform of what we call hybrid care. And, uh, and since then, we've literally taken that spirit and that notion of, of helping others when they need it most um, and really believing in the long term that if you do the right thing, maybe over the course of time, people will say, you did the right thing. And, and for that, we, uh, we think we want to be a fan of yours. And um, it was a risk. I got to tell you, it was a risk. And the, and the legacy of the leadership, I, I applaud them for making that brave decision because a lot of companies might might not have tried that, yeah. and, and Keen did. And did it pan out for them? Yeah, so, so worst ever business decision, like let's just you know, do this, but, but from a brand perspective, I think more than anything, it, 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 uh, it added a, a dimension of soul to our organization, and it, it set a, I gotta tell you, it set a very, um, a very risky standard for our organization, because as we all know, that the world is, uh, is changing, and not always for the better, and since then we've seen earthquakes in inner China, we've seen obviously the earthquake in Japan, we've, uh, we've witnessed the Haitian issue as well, and, and so when you set a standard, it's okay, what are you going to do now? And um, what I really like about being a pioneer is you don't have to stick with one dimension. It doesn't have to be just giving money. We've given, uh, we trucked in 50,000 pairs of shoes to, uh, to the Sichuan region of China, which if you, if you think about that, 50,000 pairs of shoes is not easy to get to a place. Trust me. Um, when, uh, when the Haitian issue hit, we, uh, myself and Chris Enloe, who handles a, a lot of our hybrid care program, we literally got on a bike that morning, and we, we biked over to Mercy Corps and gave them $20,000 and said, this is to start, and we're going to do more. And we did more. And then in Japan last year, when that hit, yeah, and... Uh, 
when the Japanese earthquake hit, we took a different approach, and I was asked to come over there after the earthquake and, and speak to the Japanese people through the TED platform, the TED conference, and they decided to hold a TEDx conference to just bring you know, global citizens together to speak about why we should have that hope and, and the restoration. By the way, the Japanese are unbelievably resilient, so um, just to go over there and see it live was, uh, was incredibly powerful, but it... Coming back to the Keen team, I think we just say that, you know, if we had a chance to be in charge, we'd want to do the right things, and we believe that beyond the year or the quarter or the budget, um, maybe look forward to 2020 and say we did the right thing. Yeah. It's a good place to be. <clears throat> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Livewire Radio, and we're talking to James Curley, the CEO of Keen Footwear. Um, I wanted to talk about this, uh, the fact that in 2010, you brought manufacturing back into the United States. You actually built a plant in Portland, Oregon. And the numbers say that uh, after that happened, your revenue actually increased by 30%. Mm -hmm. If it's so much more expensive, then how is that possible? Everybody get out your calculators. This is the math (laughs) part here. So I think I'd be remiss if I I didn't um, mention our our founder and our owner. And he is an unbelievable individual who's been in this industry for a long time. And he... um, more than anything else, apart from he has this unbelievable vision and he thinks long term and, and we're privately owned, so, but he gives us this permission and he truly gives us permission as a team, as a brand, as a business, as individuals to try things. And uh, as pioneers, you know, you hear about does it make sense, could it make sense, and we, we decided we'd start this category called steel toe utility. We have a lot of people that wear our shoes on the weekends and they said, gosh, you know, come Monday morning, I'm swinging a hammer, I need steel toe, but I love your shoes, I love the fit, I love the toe protection. So we said, let's create a new category and let's make it for, you know, American workers who are working. We said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had a built-in America story and wouldn't it be cool if we put a factory in Portland, Oregon? We said, well, all the evidence suggested be too expensive and it wouldn't work. And when you actually look at it, labor rates are going up significantly in Asia. Quality is getting challenged. Transportation costs are are massive today, moving product around the world. Duty rates are getting prohibitive. So when you actually balance it all up, um, it's not just about flying a flag, which is obviously important. It's, It's about making business sense. And if you can make business sense, launch a new category, build it here in Portland, Oregon, you save on all those things we just said, and it starts to make sense. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to talk about, you were also on a panel with President Bill Clinton. Uh, you were talking about your recess yes, revolution. <laughs> Can you talk about what your recess revolution is? Yeah, so, so um, all right, close your eyes. When you, were, when you were in school, what was the funnest part of your day? Right? And so somewhere along the line, if that was the funnest thing you did as a kid, you like recess, right? If that was the funnest thing you did as a kid, why did you stop doing it? At what point did the man say, recess is over, get in your cubicle and never come out till the buzzer rings? And uh, so we got intrigued with this notion of of recess. And um, I did a little research and I found out that the invention of recess, little did we know, was invented in around 1860 by a guy named Bronson Alcott. Ring a bell? (laughs) Louisa May Alcott's father, okay? Anyone know that guy? He was probably the strictest academic disciplinarian of his time. He is credited for the modern-day time-based curriculum for, that our kids all uh, do, we grew up with. And uh, he recognized that the ability to let kids have fresh air, socialize, play games, create, play, and care about things was super important to actually getting back and focusing. So he 
This guy proved it in 1860, and 150 years later, we're still debating recess. Bring recess back. So we started this revolution to say, let's bring recess back. Take a moment, take 15 minutes during the day to uh, think about yourself, your friends, socialize at a time. And I'm going to sound like the, maybe the old guy in the room, but um, when I was a kid, the notion of connect meant connecting with people and places and friends and people that were going to be future friends. If I said today, um, what's the definition of connect? Ready? Everyone get your cell phone out. Connect, get your Facebook, and, and by the way, I'm all about technology, but somehow connecting and bringing recess back just felt like the right thing to do for Keene. Yeah, well, and a, a recent article in the American Journal of Play, uh, which I had no idea existed, uh, but it indicates that um, children's playtime in the past 15 years has decreased significantly, but it's, what's happened is it's increased anxiety, depression, and attention span issues in these kids. So it seems like this is a lesson that adults can learn <laughs> as well. Because yeah. why wouldn't the same thing happen to us, yeah, right? I agree. I agree. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, we're all humans and, and life comes at us fast and we get busy. But um, I've never seen someone go, gosh, I took a moment for myself or with my friends and I regretted it. <laughs> you know, like I've never seen that. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. And, James and, Curley. Yeah. If you've just joined us, you're tuned in to Livewire Radio, and thanks for listening. And no, you're not experiencing deja vu. It's just summer, and our cast and crew are all oiled up by the pool, so this is a rebroadcast of the show. If you're in the Portland area, our live tapings start again on Saturday, September 8th at the Alberta Rose Theater. You can find more information on those shows and how to help sustain Livewire's future at livewireradio.org. Son, could you come in here, please? What? I was putting some laundry away in your dresser, and I found this. Can you explain this to me, young man? It's the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. And you think it's appropriate for you to have this? Dad, I'm 14, okay? And I read it for the articles. I know you do, and that's the problem. They were dog-eared. You led me to go through your internet history, and... You went through my laptop? Yes, ESPN.com, Yahoo Sports, CBSSports.com, Sporting News, Ball Handler, SportsBall.net, BaseBasketFoot.Ball.org, slash sports and things. Shall I go on? No. Well, according to this, you spend all of your time following sports. What is happening to you? Uh, I like sports. Speak up when you talk to me. This is serious. I like sports. Honey! What is it? David likes sports. Look! Oh my God. I know. Mom, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel so betrayed. Who taught you this? Oh, come on. Just minutes ago, he was playing Madden NFL 12 on his PlayStation. Oh, but we bought Batman Arkham City for you to play. I traded it. Why? I don't like Batman. You watch your mouth. Jim? You can't just dismiss Batman like that. In the hands of Frank Miller, he's become a classic literary figure. I don't like comic books. My God, next thing you know, you're going to tell us that you don't like our Buffy the Vampire Slayer family night. It's not my favorite. (gasps) Who are you? 
We've watched the whole series like 12 times. Yes, and it gets better every time. You, you told us you liked it. Yeah, I did when I was eight. But come on, it's cheesy special effects oh. and terrible makeup. It's never bothered you when we watch Doctor Who. Well... Oh, oh, look what you've done to your mother. What else have you lied to us about? Arrested Development. <gasps> what? It's a little arrogant and alienating. <sighs> Community? Don't get it. Breaking Bad? Depressing. Favorite Pixar movie? Cars. Oh, oh what is wrong God. with you? Well, not the whole thing. I just really like that tow truck guy. You mean Larry the Cable Guy? He was funny in it. What? I had so many dreams for you. Wait, 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 wait. Son, please, level with me. Best Star Wars film. Come on, Dad, don't do that. Answer this. the question, son. I just, I really like Darth Maul. My heart! Oh. Yeah. Jim! Oh, my God. Ethan, ah. you tell your father Empire Strikes Back is your favorite. Ah. You say it right now. But it's so boring. Oh, literally yeah. killing your father. No. All right, fine. Okay, you're right. Empire Strikes Back is the greatest film of all time. Conan O'Brien is the best late night host ever. The Office should be canceled, so NBC's Thursday lineup would be in this order. Parks and Rec, Up All Night, Community, 30 Rock, and Parenthood at 10. And all copies of the prequel trilogy would be burned on the front lawn of the White House, and George Lucas should be stabbed in the eyes for ruining your childhood. And... And sports are for jerks like Billy Finch, who used to push Dad into the girls' bathroom with his pants down. Okay. Oh, thank goodness. Son, thank you. That's oh. all I needed to hear. Now, what say we head down to the 7-Eleven and get all four collectible Avengers Slurpee Cups? Oh, man. My heart! Dad! Dad! Okay. Okay, fine. Attaboy. Sean McGrath, Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris with David Ian on sound effects. Tonight's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market and the Whole Planet Foundation, hoping to help a million more people in global communities to change their own lives through grants to microfinance institutions. More information can be found at wholeplanetfoundation.org. Feed your brain at Whole Foods Market. We'll be right back. Once again, Thomas Lauderdale and Kathleen Sadat. Every time we say goodbye, I die 
Every time we say goodbye I wonder why a little Why the gods above me Who must be in the know Think so little of me They allow you to go When you're near There's such an air Of spring about it I can hear a lark somewhere Begin to sing to minor Every time we say goodbye I can hear a lark somewhere begin to sing change from major to minor every time we say goodbye Thomas Lauderdale and Kathleen Sadat. And now, as promised, to sum it all up for us with a poem he finished writing 30 to 37 seconds ago, please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I'm sad because I learned tonight that Courtney Hummeister is secretly bullwhipping the members of Faces for Radio Theater. She uses a special whip made of hardened striped bass, pan-roasted in a Swiss chard demi-glaze, served with Spanish chorizo along a sea scallop crudio, bathed in a puree of gently rubbed bananas that she calls the fishy-fishy-bobishy-watch-your-ass-or-I'll-whip-thee whip. This is absolutely true, unless you want to fact-check it. As Kathleen Sadat sings with her beautiful phrasing, imagination is funny, it makes a cloudy day sunny. That's how I think of you and your imagination, oh fact checker. That's right, I'm not above kissing your butt in a poetic fashion. 
You don't need to talk to the members of Faces for Radio Theater to confirm this, because I'm a poet, and I can just say it was all a metaphor if I want. This whole poem may just be a really bad metaphor. You don't know. You don't even know what it's a metaphor for. It could be a metaphor for politics or economic malaise or how much I like Jack Cheese. You don't know. <laughs> Poetry is such a great vehicle for lying. I'm amazed a hundred Republican primary candidates don't come piling out of it every time it stops for a pause. It's kind of like a guy with a tattoo of Screw America on his neck. No matter the motive behind the tattoo, you know the country could do better. <laughs> it would be better if we had a few CEOs that cared about a return on energy and a vice president that could do parkour! <laughs> I would love to see Mitt Romney trying to explain that he is a regular guy by showing off his wife's 12 Cadillacs when suddenly Joe Biden jumps out of the bushes at a pair of insource shoes and does parkour over the 12 Cadillacs where the cameras track him as he runs behind Mitt Romney's head to where Courtney stands next to the driveway in a sparkly dress bullwhipping a table of riders. <laughs> Shut up. You don't know what this is a metaphor for. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Our thanks to our guests tonight, Ron Funches, James Curley, Thomas Lauderdale, and Kathleen Sadat. The Mutton Chops are Ralph Huntley, Reed Wallsmith, and Paul Evans. Now featuring their new record of 99 songs of 30 seconds or less at mchops.com. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville. Introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Trisha Ferguson, director Jason Rouse, and sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse and house poet Scott Poole with guest writer Ted Douglas. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Scott McLeod. Recording engineer is Graham Nystrom. Production management by Drew Flint. Thank you to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Von Drele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.
from PRX.